0: Marcus Paul, almost a public figure. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the mornings, right across Australia. On the iHeartRadio and Tuning Radio apps. The biggest issues. The biggest guess. Marcus Paul in the morning starts now. Well, good morning. Nice to have your company right around Australia here on the iHeartRadio platform, starterfm.com.au. Tune in and perhaps you're listening back to the Prawncast, the podcast. It's great to know you there and it's great to know that so many of you are are supporting us. Thank you very much. Uh, We've had an amazing response so far to the uh, fundraising campaign that we've started. All the links are up on uh, my page. I think Friendly Geordie's, Van Badham and all of those wonderful supporters Of independent media uh, If you can kick the tin For just a, a few bucks We'd greatly appreciate it We really would So that we can continue To do what we do Here at Marcus Paul In the morning Provide an alternate voice And or, an alternate commentary If you like A slightly A um, slightly left voice as compared to most of the mainstream media, Um, but I'd appreciate it if you can, uh, because we want to make this bigger and better than what it currently is, but that will take Your help as well. Plenty to talk about today. Anthony Albanese has returned, of course, from the Quad meeting in Japan. I think it's been quite successful. Well, there were no embarrassing moments anyway for Albo, which is good news. Uh, He will now, of course, gather his caucus together, and we should hear in the coming days who will make up the fullness of the Albanese cabinet and, uh, of course, the the ministry under this uh, new prime minister. Uh, The Teals. Kylie Tink, in particular, in North Sydney, has received some attention from the media yesterday, many suggesting that she has the the skills to bring the 15 or so cross benches together to ensure that Albo doesn't get too many headaches. So we'll talk about that story. Uh, we have some problems with uh, really bad influenza at the moment, I'll go through that as well. Uh, that combined with COVID numbers increasing is seeing more pressure placed on our already exhausted doctors and nurses in our health sector. Uh, I'll get to that story as well, plenty of others uh, the ferries. There are more problems with those Emerald class ferries. Uh, one passenger nearly had his fingers amputated by a, a rogue door, and now apparently there are problems with the doors that need to be shut tight during some uh, rough seas and all the rest of it. I don't. Know, I don't know why they continued with these things. I would have shipped them back after all the problems they've had, from asbestos to you know not being able to deal with a slight swell and all the rest of it. Such a waste of taxpayers' money. Anyway, TransDev looking after that, isn't privatisation wonderful? So those stories coming up, if you would like to at any time send us a message, 0406521250, leave your comments too on the Facebook page, we always appreciate that. And uh, we'll update you on the latest news, thanks to Air News, that's coming up throughout the course of the program this morning and some great tunes. So, let's get into it. It is the 26th day of May, and this is Marcus Paul in the Morning. (laughs) Okay, welcome back. Now, some of the stories we'll be covering this morning, um, and some that I've shared also on our social media. Marcus Paul in the morning, give us a like on Facebook, follow us on Twitter as well and uh, we have a brand new YouTube channel, uh, which will be active very soon. Uh, So, we'll look at this. Having returned from the Quad meeting with Prime Minister Albanese, new Foreign Minister Penny Wong will now head almost immediately to Fiji. The federal government is also flagging that both Senator Wong and Albo are likely to visit the Pacific more often as strategic competition in the region intensifies. I'll talk about that for you very soon. It's amazing what changes can be achieved in just a few short days. Things, in my opinion, are already looking up. New Treasurer and Interim Home Affairs Minister Jim Chalmers, has indicated, the Moorogupin family, previously denied permanent residency, will soon return home to Biloela in Queensland. I'll let you know what Jim Chalmers has said in the past 24 hours very soon. What about the independence of the teal variety? If anyone has the skill set to bring the best out of Australia's rapidly expanding crossbench, I mean, there are, what, 15 of them? Apparently, it's our new member for North Sydney, Kylie Tink. That's according to reports yesterday. Ms. Tink is only the second independent to ever hold the blue ribbon seat, following in the footsteps of the late, great Ted Mack. Anyway, I'll uh, introduce you to Kylie Tink during the show today as well. Oh dear, more debacles for the troublesome new Sydney Emerald-class ferries. As I always say, don't pay the ferryman. What a a wonderful legacy that Andrew Constance has left behind in Sydney, hey? Uh, With trains and ferries and light rail, that are all up the shit. A passenger on one of the problem-plagued Emerald ferries nearly had their fingers taken off when a door slammed shut on them while travelling leading to the doors being locked in high-wind situations. (laughs) Oh dear, oh dearie me. We'll talk about that. Now, even now, with the election over, some journalists can't resist a final gotcha. Old mate James Morrow from News Corp had a final dig at uh, Christina Keneally yesterday. Won't change anything former New South Wales Premier and parachute candidate Christina Keneally, as you know, has been in the crosshairs of the Daily Telegraph, 2GB, and all the right-wing agencies over the past few weeks. She was spotted on her old home of Scotland Island just three days after her defeat at the hands of independent Dai Lee in Fowler. All right, well, (laughs) does she not have a property there? Is she not allowed to travel to and from that property? Anyway, they couldn't help themselves. I'll go through that story. And In fact, I think they've been stalking Christina for quite some time to get that photograph. We'll see what happens. Um, now, Prue McSween, what about that screenshot that I shared on the Facebook page? All you indulgent Chardonnay socialists and teal princes who have abandoned the hard workers who have ambition and haven't inherited a comfortable life. You can all enjoy your feelings of superiority while the real Aussies build their wealth through hard work supported by liberal Australia. Well, she wasn't alone as well. I saw that Jane Hume um, was on radio station 2GB just a couple of days ago, uh, trying to explain to us all why the Liberals lost. She said this, "'Liberal values are very much Australia's values, and I don't think that Australia understands that anymore.'" I mean, really? What absolute and utter arrogance and tripe. All right, well, I'll get to some of your uh, reactions. Uh, to what Jane Hume had to say the other day. Okay, plenty on. Uh, We'll get through uh, as much as we can this morning. Of course, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese said world leaders at the Quad Summit welcomed his government's position on climate. Of course, Albo was in Japan and the whole thing went well. Um, No problems. And it looked like he was certainly enjoying the company of other world leaders, including the President of the United States, Joe Biden. Uh, Of course, the right can't help themselves but have a a crack at, at, you know, an Alba on the world stage saying that he was in good company with Sleepy Joe. Anyway, he looked comfortable and, you know, no faux pas. And, importantly, the other leaders seemed to be, you know, happy that he was there. Uh, by the way congratulations to former act chief minister and new australian minister for finance and women katie gallagher Uh, katie and i go back a fair bit uh we you know her and i uh sparred a little bit when she was the act chief minister uh mainly over the mr fluffy amicite asbestos uh you know that infected so many homes Anyway, uh, they set up a, uh, a task force, and eventually, you know, it cost the ACT government $1.2 billion odd to remediate all of the homes. So that's how far back Katie and I go. But I've always respected her, and I think she's, a, 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 you know, as a sharp as a tack. She will be a good uh, finance minister. Now, they're also talking about her being minister for women, Although I understand some people uh, are a little upset about that and very sensitive because, you know, Katie apparently was one of the so-called mean girls that the right invented leading into the election campaign. Anyway, I'll get into that story and a whole stack more for you this morning. It is Marcus Paul in the morning. If you would like at any stage, of course, to leave your comments with us, you can do so on the Facebook page. We always appreciate your input there. And if you'd like to call the open line, 0406 521 250, uh, you can send us a text on that as well, by the way. That number, 0406 521 250. That is the Marcus Paul in the morning hotline. Okay, welcome back, Marcus, Paul, in the morning. Before I get into politics, I thought I'd start with this story. An advertisement campaign will be launched ahead of major changes to consent laws in New South Wales. Um, I read an advertising campaign on how to have consensual sex will be launched by the New South Wales Government days before new consent laws kick in. Uh, Now, plenty of stories popped up yesterday telling us what we'll need to do next time we're intimate. Dear, oh dearie mate, from the 1st of June, consent must be actively communicated by words or actions and not assumed. In a bid to prevent sexual violence, the state government has rolled out new ads showing young people what affirmative consent looks like. The campaign was designed in consultation with survivor advocate Saxon Mullins, who welcomed the focus on real people and real scenarios. She said, I think these videos show that it's not awkward or uncomfortable to check for consent. It really is important to show what those conversations look like when they work, she said. In contrast to the maligned milkshake consent video launched by the federal government last year, wasn't that a shocker? The New South Wales ads use realistic situations to show affirmative consent. I think it's really clear, it's really effective and it shows real scenarios. The ads will target 16 to 24-year-olds on social media and dating app Tinder, The affirmative consent laws which passed New South Wales Parliament last year mean the people cannot assume someone else is consenting to sex. If you want to engage in any sexual activity from next week, you have to do something or say something to find out that there is consent, or the other party has to do something or say something to show consent. That's according to the Attorney General Mark Speakman. Consent must be, quote, ongoing, and consent to one activity does not mean consent to other acts. These are common sense reforms, according to the Attorney General. They're not about some kind of woke lawyer view of the world. They are about fundamental decency. Now, Women's Safety Minister Natalie Ward said the new ads show that checking consent doesn't need to be complicated. Well, I tend to agree. Um, Look, it's important that we do whatever we possibly can to ensure that sexual violence is absolutely taken out of our society. So you'll start seeing those ads from next week. Here's the audio of them. The new consent laws in New South Wales. Do you want to keep going? No. Let's go back to the party. That's how you do it. Check consent every time. <laughs> Can I kiss you? Yeah. Yeah. That's how you do it. Check consent every time. Okay, welcome back on this Thursday, the 26th day of May. Nice to have you company, Marcus Paul, in the morning. With Penny Wong flying to Fiji, the federal government is also flagging that both Senator Wong and Prime Minister Anthony Albanese are likely to visit the Pacific more often as strategic competition in the region intensifies. Our Pacific analyst Anna Prowles from Massey University in New Zealand said the visits coming hot on the heels of the Australian election and quad meeting in Tokyo, sent a strong signal that the Albanese government intends to hit the ground running in resetting relations with the Pacific. It also gives Wong an opportunity to meet with Secretary-General Puna and the Pacific Islands Forum, given the leaders' meeting due to be held in early June has been delayed. That's what she said to the ABC. Uh, Wong... Will be seeking to leverage the increasingly robust Australia Fiji relationship. Now, the good doctor said the foreign minister may also be seeking to form a clearer regional response to the China Solomon Islands security deal, working closely with Prime Minister Barney Marama. Tess Newton Kane, who's from the Pacific Hub at the Griffith Asia Institute, said Senator Wong was following through on her promise to visit the region soon. Um, Anyway, she said she sees it as a high-risk strategy with the potential to deliver high reward. She told the ABC the foreign minister spoke earlier in the week of how the Albanese government wants to stand shoulder-to-shoulder with Pacific partners, and this is her first opportunity to, you know, what do they say, walk the talk. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, what do you make of it? I've, I've said earlier in the week on the program that I believe Senator Penny Wong will make an outstanding foreign minister. I don't back away from that for a moment. Oh, I think she will be wonderful. Anyway, what do you make of it? Let me know. You can put your comments uh, on our Facebook page, as Richard has. Richard says, Marcus important and proactive to go to Fiji. It is very much at the risk of Chinese influence. <laughs> Paul says they've done more in three days than scomo did in three years and lucas says delicious finally some good bloody diplomacy all right well if you care to comment you can do so marcus paul in the morning on the facebook page i'd love to hear your thoughts on that and any other issues uh there's plenty of other stuff up there as well that perhaps you might care to comment on um it's amazing in fact what changes can be achieved in just a few short days i mean we've just talked about that with penny wong visiting fiji and a you know a cementing and perhaps an improvement if you like of the relationship with uh pacific neighbors i'll never forget the uh the image of those three buffets who was it dutton i think tony abbott and i can't was morrison there i'm not quite sure not realising that there was an overhead microphone boom from a television camera. And was it Dutton or somebody, or even Abbott? Well, they were laughing anyway, because some monkey there said something along the lines of, oh, you know, uh, these Pacific islands worrying about water lapping at their feet or something. It was just a a real derogatory comment aimed at, you know, uh, saying that effectively they felt that these nations in the Pacific were being all hysterical about, you know, the possible impacts of climate change. Anyway, we won't have to deal with that sort of rubbish uh, with Labor now in power. New Treasurer and Interim Home Affairs Minister Jim Chalmers has indicated the Tamil family the Murugappan family, previously denied permanent residency, will soon return to Bilouela. He said yesterday as the interim home affairs minister, I hope to have a conversation with the Prime Minister uh, when he returns from his international trip. So that conversation is, you know, probably going to happen in the next day or two. Mr. Chalmers said, saying a series of steps needed to be taken to return the Tamil family to the Queensland town. We know that. It's not you know, something that will happen overnight. The family is currently in community detention in Perth, but had previously been sent to Christmas Island's detention centre. I hope to be able to announce progress on this case very, very soon," said the uh, Treasurer Jim Chalmers yesterday. Riley writes on the Facebook page, Marcus, a tangible, undeniable positive effect from a change in government. And Michael says, well, the town is gonna, to, that's Biloela, is going to go wild when they return. Uh, Vicky writes, it's about time. I could never understand in uh, this in any way. The poor family, it'll be great in the town when they arrive. Um, and Wendy says, and and what a well-deserved party it will be when they get there, no thanks to Alex Hawke. Ah, well said, Wendy, you're absolutely right. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, welcome back, Marcus Paul in the morning. Look, of all the so-called teal independents, I mean, there were a lot that got uh, some big coverage. Uh, many of them <laughs> attacked, of course, by the right, including Allegra Spender and others. But Kylie Tink kind of went under the radar. And a story yesterday, so there's going to be 15 crossbenchers in the upcoming parliament. And it suggested that North Sydney's new independent, Kylie Tink, could be the woman who brings them all together. Um, Kylie Tink, of course, did very well. She ousted who was it? Trent Zimmerman in North Sydney. Miss Tink is only the second independent to ever hold the blue ribbon seat, following in the footsteps of the late, great Ted Mack. She says that her background is 35 years in building teams, running businesses and driving campaigns. I know without a shadow of a doubt... You get the best outcomes when you bring people together around a common ambition. That's the opportunity that's presented by a stronger, more diverse crossbench to this next sitting of Parliament. She said that's news limited yesterday. Well, there is speculation it could take weeks for the result to emerge in the tight contest for North Sydney. Her victory was determined pretty swiftly. So swiftly, in fact, Miss Tink could hardly believe it. It was only after outgoing Liberal MP Trent Zimmerman called me on Sunday that it really hit me that this was really happening. He was every bit the gentleman you expect of him and congratulated us on running a great campaign and then said he was sure I would be a great member for North Sydney. It was at that point my family started jumping around and screaming, we've done it, we've done it. While Miss Tink is eager to get started on furthering Helen Haynes integrity bill and actioning Zali Stegel's bill on climate, there are also a number of local issues that she is uh, well, she's keen to champion. She said yesterday another pretty immediate priority is working out what is going on with the Western Harbour Tunnel and the Beaches Link projects. She said, We need to make sure we take advantage of the opportunity with the lull with these two projects to make sure whatever the solution is for the community... That's been planned and actually are in the best interests of everybody. I had committed to pulling together a panel of independent experts to really unpack all of this. Infrastructure Australia has taken them both off the list of priority projects. I know there were questions with them both supporting the business cases because they are incredibly expensive projects. Uh, Ms. Tink went on to say we really need to look at them and decide how do we get the solutions our community needs as a whole without the North Sydney CBD and penalising people who live around that Camaray Park and Tunks Park areas. All right, Uh, well, the uh, new Teal Independent, Kylie Tink, also plans to lobby new Prime Minister Anthony Albanese to make good on his election pledge to fund a community battery for Camaray, which will allow people in homes unsuitable for panels to access solar power. Miss Tink said, North Sydney has one of the best opportunities to be one of the first net zero urban energy zones in the country. After eight months leading up uh, Team Tink and winning what many at first considered an impossible race, the real job now begins. Miss Tink said yesterday the campaigning part was only step one. Now we work really hard um, to make sure that I'm following through and delivering on the ambitions that people ask me to pursue She said she'll bring 170% every day because she recognises the responsibility and the opportunity she's been given, and she's looking forward to doing it. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing how these independents settle into the new look Australian Parliament over the coming weeks. Marcus Paul, in the morning. Uh, Plenty of you commenting, by the way, on that uh, story on Kylie Tink that I put up. Um, And thank you for those. You can keep them coming on the Facebook page. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, welcome back. old dear. There are more problems with those. uh, I don't want to call them terrible uh, because I'm sure they'd be great on a lake. Maybe Lake Burley Griffin, but not Sydney Harbour. I'm talking about the problem-plagued Emerald Ferries. Slamming doors on ferries locked in rough seas after nearly taking off passengers' fingers. Great headline. Oh dear, oh dear. It is the latest drama surrounding these uh, ferries. Concerns have been raised. Emergency exit doors on the vessels are not weighted properly and they slam shut in rough seas. A passenger on one of these emerald ferries nearly had their fingers taken off when a door slammed shut on them while travelling, leading to the doors being locked in high wind situations. It is the latest drama surrounding the foreign-built fleet, with concerns having been raised emergency exit doors on the vessels are not weighted properly, meaning they can slam shut. It came as a spokeswoman For ferry operators, Transdev confirmed the doors have been locked, quote, as a precaution during high winds, unquote. An industry source said the real reason the emergency doors on the ferries have been locked shut was due to them slamming dangerously in rough seas. Uh, They're not weighted properly, they slam shut, the source told the Daily Telegraph, referring to one incident in which a slamming door nearly took off a passenger's fingers. An image uh, that I shared on the Facebook page shows the portside emergency door of the Balmoral ferry covered with warning tape and a sign stating the door was locked. Labor Transport Spokeswoman Joe Halen said the vessels clearly have serious issues when it comes to passenger safety. Even the safety measures on the government's failed overseas built Emerald Class Manly ferries are unsafe. The emergency doors don't work, vessels can become airborne in heavy swells and there have been reports of passengers being thrown around the cabin. This is just more evidence that the government's transport procurement policies have completely failed. Transdev, a private company which operates Sydney Ferries on behalf of the New South Wales government, how good is privatisation? Well they confirmed an inquiry caused by a door slamming shut. A spokeswoman said yesterday there was an incident resulting in an injury to a passenger as a result of not following onboard announcements, so it's their fault, and signs to not move about the vessel while crossing Sydney Heads in high winds. The front doors are only locked as a precaution during high winds and can be easily unlocked. Alternative exits are located on both levels. In case of an emergency, passengers would be disembarked promptly with the assistance of our highly trained crews. It's the latest problem to hit the Emerald-class ferries which were built of course in Indonesia. Last year's issues included cracks being found in the hull of one vessel, while another was forced to get repaired after a vibrating propeller caused excessive noise. And it was revealed last month. The New South Wales government had also quietly shelved promises to bring a third of the iconic freshwater ferries back onto the Manly to Circular Key route, citing supply chain issues. Oh, dear. Well, look, we can. there's a timeline, if you like, with these problem-plagued Emerald-class ferries. In April of this year, internal warning was sent to drivers that the ferries could become airborne in rough seas. Transport for New South Wales confirmed plans to refurbish a third freshwater ferry were laid indefinitely, as I mentioned. Back in April of this year, a 19-year-old was thrown overboard from the deck of an Emerald-class ferry after reportedly jumping on deck during rough swells. <laughs> in November of last year, the new Emerald-class ferry serving the Manly to Circular Quay route and designed to withstand four-and-a-half-metre swells was still capped at two and a half metre swells due to testing and rough conditions yet to take place. They were cleared, of course, earlier in the year. And on and on it goes. On and on it goes. There have been problems there with asbestos delivered in the river-class ferries. um, And we've had issues, of course, um, not only with the ferries, but also with the light rail. Uh, Do we say this is a legacy left over from the former Transport Minister, Andrew Constance? I think we safely can, can't we? Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, I mentioned at the start of the program that uh, you know some journos were still after a gotcha moment, even though the election has been run and won. And I noticed that one in particular, James Morrow, probably wrote this with glee yesterday, uh, the fact that ousted Christina Keneally was back in the Northern Beaches just days after her election defeat in Fowler. Labor's Christina Keneally has been spotted back in an inclusive, oh, sorry, exclusive Northern Beaches suburb just days after her embarrassing election defeat. Okay. Now, this is supposed to be news. But I'm in the first sentence here from this simp James Morrow, Exclusive Northern Beaches suburb? Wow. Well, I guess it is, but does it have to include the word exclusive? Just days after her embarrassing election defeat. Well, who's embarrassed, James? Do you think Christina's embarrassed? I don't think so. Anyway, uh, it goes on. Labor's Christina Keneally has returned to Sydney's northern beaches just days after losing the southwestern seat of Fowler to independent Di Lee. Miss Keneally was filmed by Nine News back on the affluent Scotland Island on Tuesday, more than an hour's drive, plus a ferry ride from Liverpool where she moved during her campaign. In the footage, she was seen wearing a baseball cap and hoodie as she walked up the Scotland Island jetty with her off-duty police officer son, Daniel Keneally. Now, Miss Keneally refused to answer questions over whether her return to the northern beaches just days after her loss proved she was a parachute candidate for labour. She also refused to answer when asked what was next for her in the wake of the election loss. Uh, the Labour frontbench's return back to the Northern Beaches comes after a, here we go, here's another abjective thrown in, uh, disguised as news, but it's really comment. after a humiliating defeat in Fowler, which until now has never been held by anyone other than Labour. Uh, in the lead up to the election, Miss Keneally was controversially parachuted into what was considered a safe seat as a captain's pick candidate. It was thought Miss Keneally couldn't lose, with Labor pushing aside a local candidate in the process. But the gamble blew up in Labor's face, with the people of Fowler opting for Miss Lee on Election Day, as we know. Okay, the seat of Fowler was called on Saturday night, but Miss Keneally waited until Sunday night to formally concede defeat. It seems that Labor will not claim victory in Fowler. I congratulate Di Lee and wish her well, is what Christina Keneally said. Alright, thank you to the people who voted Labor and the volunteers on our campaign and congratulations to Albo and Labor. A better future for Australia lies ahead. Now, speaking on Monday, Ms Lee claimed many voters were furious at Labor's decision to overlook a local candidate in favour of Ms Keneally, who's never lived in the electorate before beginning her election campaign. A lot of voters were so angry with the fact that the Labor Party was arrogant enough to think that they can parachute somebody in from the northern beaches to come and represent the southwest, one of the most socially disadvantaged communities to represent us, is what Miss Lee told the ABC. She has no roots here. She's not connected to this area. So how can we trust that she can deliver for us? She's never lived through the challenges that we have lived through. Labor voters especially were very... They thought it was a slap in the face and an insult to them. Those were the comments I received when voters came to vote for me. They've never voted for anybody else other than Labor. All right, well, to Lee, the local candidate, a Labor candidate who apparently was shoved aside, well, she was really, let's be honest, so that Ms Keneally could run, has said she was shocked by the result. On the ground, there was a bit of outrage about the parachute candidate, to be frank, but it was considered one of the safest seats in the country, so I didn't expect the result. This outcome sent a clear message to political parties that you can't take local communities for granted and ignore community voters. Well, it seems Miss Lee and the people of Fowler weren't the only ones who thought Miss Keneally's candidacy was a bad idea, with members of the Labor Party also agreeing it was the wrong move. One Labor Party insider told the Sydney Morning Herald earlier this week, We got what we deserved. Christina is an excellent parliamentarian, a member of the team, but that seat didn't make sense. The manoeuvre to put her into Fowler was wrong and the people clearly agreed. When asked if Labor had learnt their lesson from the embarrassing loss, the MP told the publication, I bloody hope so. All right, on Saturday night, before Fowler had been called, but when it was clear Miss Keneally was in trouble, Sky News host Kieran Gilbert asked what had gone wrong in her campaign. The candidate said her party would need to have a look at that in the days ahead, whether they win or lose the seats. Well, what I personally think is that uh, whether it's a Liberal, Labor or Calathumpian, you can't be parachuting, if you like, and, and they've all done it. There are captain's picks on both sides, all sides. But I think the Australian public are uh, kind of sick of it now. You know, unless you have actually lived in the electorate for quite some time and, you know, you've uh, either born and raised there or, you know, you've moved and you've lived there for quite some time, people see through it. And to be perfectly honest, I wasn't surprised that Christina Keneally didn't get across the line in Fowler. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, welcome back, Marcus. Paul in the morning on the 26th day of May. Well, another day, another mass shooting in the United States of America. A teenage gunman has killed at least 19 children and two teachers after storming into a Texas primary school, the latest bout of gun fueled violence in the United States and the country's worst school shooting in nearly a decade. The carnage began on Tuesday when the 18-year-old suspect, identified as Salvador Ramos, shot his own grandmother, who apparently survived, according to authorities. He then fled that scene and crashed his car near the Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, a town around 130 kilometres west of San Antonio. It was there he launched a bloody rampage that ended when he was killed, apparently shot by police. Now, the motive was not immediately clear but police identified the shooter as a local resident. Law enforcement officers saw the gunman, clad in body armour, emerge from the crash vehicle carrying a rifle and engage the suspect who nevertheless managed to charge into the building and open fire. Isn't that just horrific? It was the deadliest shooting at a US primary school since 20 children and six adults were, call, were killed, of course, at Sandy Hook in Connecticut. That was almost a decade ago. And the deadliest school shooting in Texas history, occurring four years after a gunman fatally shot 10 people at Santa Fe High School in the Houston area. Texas Governor Greg Abbott described the attack in the town as horrific and incomprehensible. Uvald, Con, uh, Consolidated Independent School District Chief of Police, gee, that's a title, Pete Arendodo uh, said the gunman acted alone. It was not immediately clear how many people, in addition to the dead, were hurt, but authorities said there were several injuries. State Senator Roland Guretzi geez, these names, I hope I'm getting them right, Uh, that might be Gutierrez, said he'd been told by state police that three people injured uh, remained in serious condition in hospital. Uh, The local memorial hospital said earlier that 13 children were taken by ambulance or bus to that facility, and another hospital reported a 66-year-old woman was in critical condition. Well, I believe that would be the bloke's grandmother. Uh, This school has just under 600 students and it serves students in the 2nd, 3rd and 4th grade. At this stage, the children's ages, that is those who were shot, their ages have not been provided. But they'd be young kids. Uh, The district said all its schools were locked down because of gunshots in the area. I mean, it's awful. President Biden took to Twitter saying these kinds of mass shootings rarely happen elsewhere in the world. Why are we willing to live with this carnage? Why do we keep letting this happen? Where in God's name is our backbone to have the courage to deal with it. It's time to turn this pain into action. And when I last checked, I mean, the tweet had been liked nearly 160-odd thousand times. So, that's, you (laughs) know… That's Joe Biden. It's an emotional call for new restrictions. He called for an impasse on gun reform to end. When in God's name are we going to stand up to the gun lobby, Mr Biden said at the White House shortly after returning from a five-day trip to Asia. With First Lady Jill Biden standing by his side in the Roosevelt Room, Mr Biden added, I am sick and tired, we have to act. These kinds of mass shootings rarely happen anywhere else in the world. Vice President Kamala Harris said earlier that people normally declare in moments like this our hearts break, but our hearts keep getting broken, and our broken hearts are nothing compared to the broken hearts of those families. We have to have the courage to take action to ensure something like this never happens again. You know, can you believe this? The shooting came days before the NRA, the National Rifle Association's annual convention was set to begin in Houston. Chris Murphy, who's a US Senator from Connecticut, which takes in Sandy Hook, begged his colleagues to finally pass legislation to address the country's continuing gun violence problem. Our heart is breaking for these families. Every ounce of love and thoughts and prayers we can send, we are sending. But I'm here on this floor to beg to literally get down on my hands and knees and beg my colleagues, find a path forward here. Work with us to find a way to pass laws that make this less likely. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there have been others, Republican officials, uh, who've spoken at leadership forums, uh, you know, In particular, sponsored by the National Rifle Association's lobbyists. Uh, You know, in the years since Sandy Hook, the gun control debate in Congress has waxed and waned. Efforts by politicians to change US gun policies in any significant way have consistently faced roadblocks from Republicans and the influence of outside groups such as the National Rifle Association. When will it ever end? And how will it end? Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, those that have followed the program for a number of years uh, and the Facebook page would know that we refer to independent MP and member for Murray, Helen Dalton, as our water warrior. Well, she is at it again trying to ensure an equitable share of this precious resource. Member for Murray, Helen Dalton, has presented a new floodplain harvesting bill to New South Wales Parliament, and she's hoping it will end the secrecy around water ownership. Now, I've spoken to Helen about this (laughs) till we've both been blue in the face. Miss Dalton has long been a champion for better water legislation, and she was instrumental in uncovering the Murray-Darling water scandal. She says her bill would prevent Northern Basin floodplain harvesting license holders from seeking financial compensation from taxpayers. It would be a win for farmers in the Southern Basin, according to Ms Dalton, and it would halt what she claimed was a massive heist of the New South Wales public. The bill stops a massive heist, a multi billion dollar transfer of wealth from the New South Wales public to the private sector, according to Helen Dalton. She argued that northern basin irrigators have been siphoning water into their private dams before it reaches the river. She said the unregulated practice known as floodplain harvesting had a devastating impact. On lower Darling communities and reduce water allocations for southern basin irrigators. She said her bill ensured irrigators wouldn't be able to profit off floodplain harvesting licenses. But She has her critics, including New South Wales Irrigators Council Policy Manager Christine Freak. She told the Wagga News the bill was a, quote, slippery slope for water property rights everywhere, unquote. She said the proposed water reform could see a 14% impact on farmers' bottom lines in the Northern Basin. Independent economic analysis has found that the floodplain harvesting reform will have a 14% impact on farmers' bottom line in the northern basin, she said, including job losses in particular from the Maury local government area alone due to the significant cutbacks in floodplain harvesting. She said that the amount of water allocated to water licences varied based on available water determinations. Meantime, Leighton farmer Tanya Ginz supported the bill put forward by Miss Dalton, believing it would help in limiting the water downstream and minimise the choke of water which overlaps through the Murray and Murrumbidgee River systems. Mr Ginz told News Corp, I support the bill 100% because floodplain harvesting is trying to take the water from the Murrumbidgee downstream through the Yanko Water Licence, which is a federally funded project which has been a mess. Mr Ginn said if the bill doesn't pass, it would be like robbing Peter to pay Paul. Alright, Ms Dalton said she believed the bill would be supported by Labor and all of the crossbenchers, allowing it to pass both Houses of Parliament. She said yesterday, there's no reason why any of these parties would oppose this bill. They don't believe these licences should be compensable. Um, Supporting this bill is a no-brainer. Debate on the bill will occur when New South Wales Parliament resumes next month. And we'll try and get a chat with Helen Dalton as soon as we can on the program. Marcus Paul in the morning. (coughs) All right, welcome back Marcus Paul in the morning 0406521250, our hotline available for you to leave your message, send us a text, and as always, you can leave your comments on the Facebook page. Well, uh, you would have heard by now that we're having a pretty shocking flu season, and perhaps the worst is yet to come. And I see that experts are pushing for the flu vaccination to be made free for everyone as overwhelmed public hospitals are forced to delay elective surgery. Elderly Australians are also in particular being urged to get off their backsides and get their fourth COVID booster dose. Okay. Fewer than one in three of the people aged over 65 who are eligible for a fourth COVID booster have taken it up. And only 15% of Aussies have had this year's flu vaccine when nearly half the population had received it by the middle of May last year. I don't know, maybe um, people are perhaps a little over being vaccinated. Can Can we have such a thing called vaccination fatigue? I'm not quite sure. Public hospitals, though, I mean, they tell us they're under severe pressure as they're forced to cope with the double whammy of surging COVID and influenza cases at the same time. So, you know, uh, I don't want to, you know, make light of the situation. Last week, Canberra's public hospitals were forced to delay elective surgery indefinitely as a record 80 COVID patients were hospitalized and massive staff shortages made it impossible to carry out business as usual. The soaring death rate. From both viruses, mean grappling with infection control will be one of the new Labor government's most pressing first tasks. One easy solution would be to follow Queensland's lead and make the jab free for all. That's according to experts. The flu shot is free for the elderly, but it can cost $100 to vaccinate a family of four, which, you know, at this time with uh, costs of petrol and inflation squeezing family budgets, well, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. New South Wales Health Pathology uh, Professor Dominic Dwyer uh, said there's a whole range of things that stop people getting vaccinated and you want to reduce those barriers, whatever they may be. Professor Dwyer said he was sure Commonwealth and state health departments would be discussing a nationwide approach to lowering the cost of the flu jab. Infectious diseases expert group, OzSAGE, is also calling for a wider groups of Australian or for wider groups of Australians to be given access to a fourth COVID booster dose. At present, only uh, they are only available to those aged over 65, and those who are, of course, immunocompromised. Data from Israel show people over the age of 60 who received a fourth vaccine dose had rates of severe disease some three and a half times lower than those who had only received three doses. Alright, well Australia has purchased millions more COVID vaccine doses than it needs and there are currently 14 million unused doses which could be given to the general population. Yeah, well, hospitals, they remain under increasing pressure, 34,000 COVID infections a day, one of the highest rates in the world, and more than 10,000 people are currently battling influenza. Nationwide, There are more than 2,912 people in hospital with COVID, including 107 in intensive care. There have also been a further 153 hospital admissions due to the flu, including seven in ICU since April. The flu season has just begun, but if it is as severe as 2019, there could be some 30,000 estimated hospital admissions just to influenza alone. So I don't know. Do you believe that perhaps we should make the flu jab free for all Australians? Let me know, Marcus Paul, in the morning. <laughs> All right, well, that's it for today's program. Thank you for tuning in here on Star FM on the iHeartRadio platform on TuneIn. And, of course, if you're listening back to us on the PrawnCast, uh, if you wouldn't mind, please give it a share on your social media. Don't forget, we're asking for your uh, help if you can uh, spare a a few bucks. Uh, We've got the GoFundMe uh, page, which is up and running. Um, There's already lots of you donating in excess of 100 donations, I think, yesterday alone. So I do thank each and every one of you uh, for showing your support to the program. We want to make this bigger and better than it currently is but it you know without the, the help of corporate sponsors and advertisers it, it does get a little difficult so it's one of the worst things I I like about being so-called independent is you know occasionally having to ask for a little bit of um, creative support that's the way I'll put it even though I, it's almost begging ah oh, dear idea oh, but I, I've been told not to worry about that. Anyway, if you can support us, uh, the links are all over social media, on our Facebook page, on Twitter, etc. So, thank you if you can help out. All right, we'll be back tomorrow uh, for a final program this week on Friday. Enjoy the remains of today, look after each other and we'll catch you tomorrow as well. Thank you. Bye now. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, mate. <laughs>